Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Kevin Tumlinson. Yes, we do. We loved Kevin. Um, we've known Kevin for a long time. Um, and we met I've him known at the conference when we I met think each other. Yeah. 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 Way back um, in the dark ages. Of yeah. 2015. Yeah. 16. No, 16, like 2016. Yeah. And um, he's a great guy. He's a really smart guy. And um, he's been a digital nomad. And we talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So we talked about that. And he had some interesting ideas for writing crossovers between your books, mm-hmm. different series. And mm-hmm. he is. Um, uh, discovery writer, and we talked about that. Um, how he doesn't really plot, and so it was interesting. It was kind of different from some of the other interviews we've had. Yeah, because he really writes archae- archaeological thrillers, so you would think that somebody like that would have to plot, but he doesn't, and it and it works really well for him. So yeah. he's just it's just a fun interview, and um, he's just he works with Draft to Digital, mm-hmm. so we we got some information yeah, about that. that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so. Anyway, it's a yeah. fun interview. So what's been going on with you this week? Well, I think you should go first <laughs> <laughs> this week. So, so two big things have happened this week. One, uh, I started writing. So you Ooh. probably know, don't know, don't care. But I finished my book in August, put it out in September, and I have not written a word since then. And I was really worried that I was blocked. But I mean, like burnout. I think I was just blocked when I went to Las Vegas to 20 books on the way home from the, because I just had no ideas. I had nothing. And when on the way home on the plane, I got this idea. And so I started thinking about, but I didn't, I wrote one little thing, but it wasn't even, I mean, literally it was nothing. Um, But I kept, like the ideas kept coming. So I kept writing, you know, I just jot them down and stuff. So I started the story and it's actually going really well. And um, nice. yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And then the second thing is what Sarah's talking about. Is <laughs> I, got, I got my first tattoo yesterday. So <laughs> um, I told y'all last week that my sister has lung cancer. And um, so <laughs> when she got sick nine years ago, I said, you know, we all rally around and I was thinking, what can we do to support her? And I did not want to shave my head. And (laughs) it's a good thing because she never lost her hair. So that would have been horrible if I'd have done that. And I thought we can, let's all get tattoos. So we got tattoos or uh, they all live in the same place. And we decided on like sisters with this infinity symbol and they all go get the tattoo. And I'm thinking it's going to be something like on their foot or on their shoulder, someplace that you can cover it up, you know, for work and stuff. No, they got this thing on their arm, like on the underneath side of their arm. And it's about, you know, five say, or six inches long. For those of you who can't see, her no. hand is not like, her fingers I mean, are not an inch apart. They're like, <laughs> they're like a big tattoo apart. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was working at a hospital. I could not walk, have a visible tattoo. Like that was part of the deal. And I couldn't walk around with a bandage on it all the time because <laughs> I was working with babies. I mean, people were like, are you infectious? And so I just didn't get it. But then four years ago, I quit the hospital job and I still haven't gotten it. And they give me so much grief for it. So I just decided yesterday I was going to go, you know, this is what happens when you're not on social media for two weeks. Um, You need a (laughs) dopamine hit. And so you go get a tattoo. And so I go get the tattoo. I send them a picture and I said, now shut the hell up. So that (laughs) is get off my back. I got the tattoo, but yeah, I like it. Uh, Every once in a while I'll see it and I'll go, what is up? And Oh yeah, I got a tattoo. But it didn't hurt that bad, and um, it was it's fine, yeah. So yeah, I don't think I'll be getting like a sleeve or anything like that. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with it, but it was a little pinchier than I expected. So, uh, but this is a good thing. I said I'm 58 years old and getting my first tattoo. So, you know, there you go. Well, so that's that what's is- been going on with me. 
<laughs> that is top that. <laughs> well, I can't top that. I should have gone first. <laughs> Cause I did not get a tattoo this week. And the only thing I've, I've, I've done some writing, I've done some uh, admin stuff with my, I have a book coming out next week. So that's book seven in my historical series. So I've been doing some stuff to get ready for that. And um, also I've spent two, two and a half days moving stuff from one storage unit to another because, you know, like we moved and our kids have moved this year and they're in college and hopefully they're going to transition off out of the nest completely. But until Mm -hmm. they do that, we have some stuff. So my daughter and I have been moving stuff back and forth from storage Mm -hmm. units. And I was thinking like, this is one of those things that like you think, Oh, once they're out of the house, you have so much more time until, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, we have to go change storage units and stuff. So, so been doing stuff like that, you know, not super exciting, nothing like getting a tattoo. That's for sure. Well, and, or writing a new story, which, you know, the thing about the new story is that I have made myself laugh. And when I, Oh, good. Like since I had the idea, I've held it very close to my chest. Like I've only told one other person about it and she helped me. I mean, well, it's got a little bit of a weird part. And so she was like, oh, I think that's hilarious. And I was like, okay. And so, um, and that's Claire Taylor because she's my story guru. And, um, but so I haven't really told anybody, but I've now told a couple of people since I've started writing it. And when I'm telling it, I'm laughing, they're laughing. And so I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. This is what it feels like to write something really funny. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep it really simple because, you know, my stories can get pretty complicated. So might get overcomplicated too. Yeah. I know. I I love some drama, Um, but anyway, so that's, what's been going on, but we should get on with the interview. Yes, we should. Yes. Because it's great. Here is Kevin. Well, today we're really excited to have Kevin Tumlinson here. How are you, Kevin? I am fantastic. How are you? Good. We are great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, you're our first our first interview in the new year. So there you go. And this is the first podcast I've done in the new year. So (laughs) all right. Well, this is it's serendipitous. Is that that word? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, let me read your bio and we'll jump into the questions. Kevlin Tomlinson is an award-winning and best-selling author of more than 50 novels, as well as several nonfiction books. He is known as the voice of indie publishing for his work in author-facing podcasts, as well as his role as director of marketing and public relations for industry-leading book distributor, Draft2Digital. Yeah. That sounds exactly like what I wrote. That's great. That's perfect. (laughs) Well, before I ask the first question, tell us the podcast you actually host. Right. Oh man. Um, at one time I was hosting like eight podcasts at the exact same time. And that's not even an exaggeration. Uh, I, I'm probably best known for my show, the Wordslinger podcast, uh, which mm-hmm. had a good seven year run. I, I put it on a hiatus when we got on the road, mm-hmm. uh, traveling, um, just because it, it, it became too difficult to juggle that with some of my other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I am the I'm one of the rotating hosts for our Draft Digital's uh, Self Publishing Insiders mm-hmm. podcast, uh, which we mo- primarily do via live streams um, right. a few times a month. And I am currently the co-host of the. All right, wait for it. The stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool podcast. There with, you go. Uh, with okay, Nick you're going to have to send me Nick that Packer. link. Yeah, Nick Thacker. I knew it was going to be Nick Thacker. <laughs> That's I a knew. definite Nick Thackerism right there. So, Yeah, if you I, send me that full course, link, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I Yes, if you'll remind me, I will definitely do that. Uh, I believe it's stuffthatsreal.com is the, okay. is the website. I could be wrong, but I think that's real. Um, yeah. And then other than that, I mean, I, I've either been a host, co-host, guest host, or... Um, narrator uh you know of commercials and ads on practically every podcast you've ever listened to as an author so <laughs> you, we do that's how you. i got the whole voice of indie publishing thing. yeah that's, that's, that's right. where that came that's from right. yeah that's we do right. voice a lot as i rotate through my podcast listening yes. so that's yeah. great that's yeah. great okay so now i want to ask you how'd you get into writing 
so I was born and I practically <laughs> had a pin in my hand, which was very painful for my mother. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I actually started, I, I joke about this all the time. I, I was writing, uh, even before I was literally writing, mm-hmm. I was dictating stories into a cassette recorder that I got oh, for Christmas cool. one year yeah. at a very young age. Um, and once I started, you know, I, I wrote my, I, I tell everyone this all the time. I wrote my first book. Uh, it was five pages on big chief notebook. paper. Oh yeah, yeah. Big fat yeah. practice pencils. They give you, um, mm-hmm. I wrote that, uh, at a very early age, like five years old. And, uh, that was kind of the beginning. So I was constantly writing short stories. I'd start books. I, for years I had what I now call my, my thirds. Which yeah. like I'd write the first third of a book, you know, yep. um, and then it would sit there forever. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I it's hard. It's really hard to pinpoint a start for my writing career because I started getting paid for writing uh, back way back, like twelve years old. I was writing wow. uh, little like teen beat features for the local mm-hmm. newspaper and getting paid for it. Oh, so that's awesome! Cool. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I too yeah. was one of those people that had lots of starts. I didn't know how to plot when I first got started. And yeah. so I'd have, I have, I still will find like notebooks and sheets of paper that I go through and I start reading and I'm like, this is pretty good. And then I just yeah. stops. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it happened. And but like, story's gone. Thank, thank God for all those starters though, because later when I started writing uh, and publishing novels, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't use these at first, but when I got into pub uh, writing, uh, thrillers, I actually went back cause I didn't know where to start. I was mm-hmm. dared to write thrillers by mm-hmm. Nick Thacker, um, <laughs> who's going to come up a lot in, in the instigator of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he, he dared me to write. We were, we were doing a show at that time called, uh, self-publishing answers, mm-hmm. another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he dared me on air to write a thriller because that was his genre. I was sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started kind of, I, I took that dare and I, to get started, I went back through some of my, you know, thirds and mm-hmm. found two or three different stories that had some potential. And I basically wove those into a prologue that became my first thriller. Oh, cool. And, uh, that's where it came from. In fact, the, the, the whole like, convoluted twisted plot of that thriller is thanks entirely to the fact that I had these like three or four uh, starters that I needed to make sense with each other. And yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah. it became a plot for a thriller novel at that point. So, that's, awesome. that's great. It's like recycling yeah. of yeah. your content. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 So don't throw away those starters. Yeah. Don't, no. you know, keep, keep that stuff and, and use it. I have, uh, we, my wife and I refer to it as our drawer. You know, yeah. put that in the drawer. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where everything, like, it's like that junk drawer in your kitchen where there's yeah. five pairs of broken scissors and three empty cigarette lighters. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> All the valuable <laughs> stuff. Yeah. All the valuable stuff. Yeah. Can't and an empty yeah. roll of uh, scotch S- tape. Spent, yeah. spent yeah. batteries for days. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what is your definition of success? Success is the ability to do what you love. Uh, regardless of income, that's success. And, you know, I have definitely proven myself successful in that front uh, over the years. (laughs) Most of my career was spent writing for no money whatsoever. Um, But yeah, money's good. But I I had to divorce myself from the idea of money as success a long time ago, or I would constantly feel like I was a failure. Um, Once I embraced the idea that Success is, is, you know, doing the thing that I love um, right. without limits, then I, you know, suddenly yeah. things started to take off. It actually had a, a real impact on the momentum of my career at that point, just because, mm-hmm. you know, once I did start making some money from writing and publishing, um, it, it, it fluctuates, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of a, a shallow uh, era of income for writing right now uh, compared to years previous. And, but I still, I still feel like a success because that my definition of it didn't include or no longer includes, you know, I got to make this much money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. which isn't to say I don't want more money and I don't get anxious and 
stressed out when the money yeah. starts dwindling, but yes, uh, it doesn't define whether or not I'm a success. Right. So. And I think that's so healthy. And you know, that's so funny because we've heard that more mm-hmm. in the last six months from really successful authors um, than we have the yeah. entire time we've been doing this podcast. So I think that there is a little bit of a mind shift in the community about that. And I think it's healthy. You know, I, I think it is healthy and I do like to see it. And of course I work with th- literally thousands of mm-hmm. authors um, mm-hmm. and the, the authors who kind of come into the business always more or less have the same uh, hangups. They always, mm-hmm. it's how do I make more money? Right. And right. Uh, they hate hearing, you know, they hate hearing any advice that says, don't, don't focus on the money. And I understand right. why. Right. Uh, Cause writing a book is hard. I mean, it's so hard. <laughs> I've written That's like so hard. probably <laughs> close to 60. I said 50 in my bio, but I've written probably close to 60 full length novels and nonfiction books at this point. And, uh, and every single one of them was, was if not as, if not harder than at least as hard yes. as, mm-hmm. as the one before and mm-hmm. the very first one I wrote, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's hard work. And so you want to get paid for that. Yeah. I <laughs> so I understand. It. Yeah. Yep. So what do you wish you'd known about writing in craft when you started? When it comes to craft. Um, so, you know, I was very hung up on when I first started um, the idea that I had to have these elaborate plots, uh, everything written out, know the ending before I start, um, mm-hmm. all those things. Uh, what I wish I had known at the start that I think would have made my life a little less stressful is that for every author that those things are slightly different um, when it comes to craft. Like, you know, if you're looking for answers, like, you know, I learned that uh, pacing my plot, I didn't, I didn't, I don't have any advice (laughs) on that side. Uh, Well, I do actually, I might, uh, but it's not a wish I knew kind of thing, but I, I just wished I had known that I didn't have to, spend myself on things that, that were not really, um, that were not really part of my makeup right? in order to get a good book. And, and, mm-hmm. and I always felt guilty about my books. Mm-hmm. I always felt guilty because I'm a pantser, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't write outlines. Uh, right. I've tried and, right. uh, every now and then I kind of try again. And sometimes mm-hmm. I have a little bit of success, but for the most part, I don't outline. So right. The, le- the thing I wish I had known was that it's okay to be like that. Right. I-, I tortured myself mm-hmm. uh, for the first like four or five books because no. I, I felt like I was cheating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By just going into it, huh? Or, or just jumping or the, into it. Or like for me, I feel like sometimes I feel like, oh, I can't start if I don't know, like for romance, the black moment, you know, like I yeah. need to know that. And I started a book yesterday and I don't know the black moment. I know a lot of things leading up to it, but I guess I've realized as I'm writing, I will figure that out. Like I've just kind of decided to trust myself and make sure, you know, and just keep reminding myself, oh yeah, I can figure this out because what happens with me is I get stuck and then I just panic and I don't write for, you know, three weeks. Or I, I will get stuck too. And I, there is a tendency to want to panic, but what mm-hmm. I discovered and, and part of this is because, so I say I'm a pantser and that I don't plot or outline. And that mm-hmm. is true. Right. But um, what I've discovered over the years is that I actually do a lot of plotting and outlining. I just do it in long form and I yeah. don't do it before I start writing. I do right. it as I write. As I write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I um, will reach those muddy middles and bog down and feel like, you know, well, I'm a fraud and I'm going to fail, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> but what, what has worked for me is to loop back mm-hmm. and I'm sort of stealing this concept from Dean Wesley Smith. Uh, he does it in shorter bursts. He does it in mm-hmm. 500 word bursts. I go all the way back to the beginning of the book or, um, or to that day's writing, you know, yeah. I t- typically loop back to that day's writing and edit before I go on. But, um, when I get stuck in the middle, I go to, I go back to the beginning and I read and rewrite as I go. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when I get to where I stopped, I've got momentum and I keep going. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good um, idea. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I sort. And then the thing is <laughs> early in my career, 
you couldn't have held a gun to my head and had me do that. Uh, rereading and rewriting my work was just off the table, uh, mm. hard stop. But, you know, you learn as you, you go learn. that it's actually not as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. And it's actually four times more useful than than even the most exuberant uh, supporter of that idea right. would have you believe. Right. So, yeah. That's very good. Do you find that you've already done a lot of your editing? Like when you actually get to the end, do you have less um, time spent editing because you've kind of been doing it all along? So the the evolution of editing for me went from absolutely no editing on my part to uh, a smattering of editing using mostly software to now I've got this, what I call my edit stack. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I, I have been told by my uh, beta readers is that um, over time I've gotten, I've, I'm delivering to them much cleaner manuscripts. So what I don't feel is, oh, I'm editing. Mm-hmm. What I feel like when I'm doing it is I'm, I'm engrossed in the story and then I see mm-hmm. something and I fix it as I go. So yes, mm-hmm. the, the I guess the, the real answer is I do find that I have fewer edits to make at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I, I am a strong advocate that you should not edit as you write. Right. Um, but that this is what I consider an editing phase when I loop back. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I am writing and I am adding to the story as I go, probably introducing all kinds of new errors as I go. But um, for the most part, it comes out fairly clean. And then I use tools like I'm, I used to use Grammarly. I've kind of backed away from Grammarly. I use pro writing aid. Mm-hmm. Um, to help me scan through and find, you know, mm-hmm. issues that yeah. that are easy to find. Mm-hmm. And then I have my edit team, uh, my, my arc readers or beta readers or street team or whatever mm-hmm. phrase mm-hmm. you prefer. I call them a street team, right. I have them, uh, read it and, and provide feedback. And then I go and make those edits too. So, you know, it's a process. Um, mm-hmm. and what I've, learned uh, what I eventually learned is that I actually kind of enjoy it. I actually, I used to hate people, by the way, I'd read, read uh, writer's digest and I'd want to strangle every <laughs> single author who said this, but I've come to love the edit and rewrite phase Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of like, it's kind of like being a participant in a novel. Like, oh yeah. if I were, you know, reading something by John Grisham or something, um, and I, and I spot a typo or whatever, I can't fix it Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I can't add to the story. Like if I read a, if I read a plot point and I'm like, Oh man, what, well, what mm-hmm. if they said this, yeah. I can't go add that. Um, but I can, when I'm reading my own stuff. So it, it's almost like a participatory sport at that point. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That is really interesting. Cause I, I much prefer to edit rather than compose. Like for me, the hardest thing to do is to come up with new words, but then once I have them, I can go in there and work on them. And I, I have a general idea of where I'm going, but I'm more like you. I go back and if I get stuck, I go back and I read what I've done before. And then sometimes I'll work on it. And I feel like when I get done, the book is in pretty good shape. So maybe it takes me longer overall to write a book, but then I don't have, you know, like you don't have as long of a, yeah you know, editing. So you're, you're yeah. going to spend that time no matter well, what. I mean, one way or the time. other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, I mean, yeah. you, you might as well do it in a way that you enjoy. Um, I will say that is probably the biggest advantage I have in my writing career is that I am um, uh, very comfortable with that existential crisis known as the blank page. Like I, mm-hmm can write and write well and write a lot and very quickly. Um, it's just something, it's a skill I developed over the years. I think um, my work as a, as a professional copywriter probably helped a lot mm-hmm. with that, mm-hmm. but I've always been very good at just, as my friend Bob says, uh, word vomiting there and, you go. <laughs> and it comes out looking like art. So uh <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i'm the andy warhol of uh of writing just splatter it on the page and call it art <laughs> that's great well but i think you do a little bit more than that too mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. so um what about marketing what do you wish you had known about marketing uh for one i wish i had known from the start that marketing isn't always purely about data uh and or about ads 
or, or all those things that people right. get so hung up on. Um, you know, I tell, I talk to authors about this stuff all the time. You know, marketing is any effort you make to, uh, by my definition, marketing is improving the odds that the right reader will discover your work at the time they're ready to buy it. And um, anything can actually qualify as marketing. So I, I wish I had really had that concept in, in mind when I started because there were so many opportunities I passed and so much money I threw away right. trying to market the books. And by no means uh, have I mastered marketing despite, you know, despite my reputation and experience and, you know, all, all the things that should indicate that I'm, I should be a marketing master. Mm -hmm. uh, but the truth is, you know, I'm still figuring it out as I go, just like everybody else. And you try things and you see what works. Um, and sometimes things stop working. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think what I wish most, uh, wish most that I had known is probably that a marketing is just about anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and B, your ability to pivot is the most important part of marketing. Like your, your ability to change your plan on the fly as you detect that something's either working or not working is your best asset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. Um, yeah, I don't think I really knew that either. I don't, I don't think I knew that, you know, just anything I did to get my book in front of people or get yeah. people, you know, have it available yeah. when they're ready to buy, like you said, uh, was marketing. I <laughs> thought it was paid ads like everybody else. So Yeah. And those but, have their place, right? I mean, that's, absolutely. that's a absolutely. very important part of marketing. It does right. not work for everyone. Right. Um which is something else I wish I had known. Yeah. Because <laughs> I probably could have saved myself a cool hundred grand on, yeah. on marketing expenses, but yeah. uh, that's just live know, and learn. Lessons yeah. You learn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Um, the classic is that I assumed if I simply wrote a book, people would in fact buy it. Yeah. I've got about five years of data that proves that's false. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, you know, there, I probably, there's a whole gamut of assumptions I, yeah. I made as an author. Um, I like a lot of authors assume that you have to be vetted by someone in order yeah. to be in the business. You have mm -hmm. to be, you know, there, that there are rules to the game. Um, yeah. You know, and there are to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, I I made the assumption early. Actually, one assumption I made early, I actually uh, has been met out. Um, oh. I assumed very early. Now you have to remember, I go and I started. It was like way back in like 2006. Oh wow! Uh, okay. So yeah. you know, I've been publishing for uh, independently for a very long time, but the the whole. Um, assumption I made from the start was that my book needed to be, um, I, it needs, it needed to be indiscernible from a traditionally published book. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. turns out to be absolutely correct. Like mm -hmm. I, uh, mm -hmm. early on, you know, and thank God I have assets. Like I, I'm a designer as well. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've mm -hmm. done graphic design. So I was able to design my own covers. I was able to figure out layout. I was able to figure out all these different mechanics uh, to make the book look as my friend bill once said uh it it looks like a real book yeah. um so which by the way is a phrase that plagues us in this business like so much yeah oh i only read real books yeah you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. like does that include like I'm shaking my <laughs> head like yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see a, a concrete definition of real book. Real that book excludes yeah. everything I've been doing for the past like 15 right. years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Um yes. Oh, In good. fact, <laughs> lots of times uh but one in particular was when i published my first book uh by myself uh not through anyone else when i published my first book it was a sci-fi book that i had um really only written because i was working with my brother-in-law and my good friend on what we wanted to be a web series at a time mm -hmm. when there was no netflix 
Hulu, yeah. any of that. Yeah. Um, and I was having a hard time getting my head around the concept. So I wrote a, uh, I wrote a treatment for the series that it became the first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I published it, after discovering that there was self-publishing available to me uh, beyond paying someone, like I went to Amazon's whatever KDP was called at that time. Yeah. Um, and when I published it and when I created the cover and everything, I put the words book one of three on the cover for some reason. <laughs> and then for like the next three years, seriously regretted that because yeah. <laughs> the people who did discover the book were demanding book two. And at that time it was still taking me forever to write it. But I was, I, I, I have some journal entries that uh, from that period and I've gone through them over the years and I'll find this one. And it says like, here's my goals, my goals for this year, uh, find two hours per week to write. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it's, it cracks me up now. Cause it's like two hours per week. I mean, what was I getting done? Yeah. Um, the book description, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, I was not slicing off time right. regularly to write at that mm-hmm. point. And so it took me years to write each book for a while. Yeah. Um, so I just dreaded every time someone bought the book, you know, I was like <laughs> celebrating the sale and dreading the email, uh, right. cause everyone wanted to know when's the next one. So, you know, when I wrote the second one, then it, it happened again. I'm like, I, I still owe the world a third book. And yeah. I started to seriously consider like ditching the whole dream at that point, because <laughs> I'm like, sure, huh? I, <laughs> it's too much. Um, but no. That 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 was turned out to be one of the best things I could have done to myself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm present day Kevin was was shaking his fist at past Kevin, but yeah. you know, it yeah. turns out past Kevin was a sort of accidental genius because mm-hmm. I could not let I, my personal OCD would not let me leave that yes. series unfinished. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so yeah, yeah. I wrote what the third book was when the game changed for me mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. I wrote that and I'm at a time when I decided I've got, I'd been, I had discovered like these self-publishing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I discovered uh, at that time I had discovered Smashwords. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, all these, all these resources. And I was listening to a ton of stuff, watching things on YouTube. And I, I thought, you know, I can't do this. I can't build a business around being a, an author if I've only got two books out there. Right. Um, and so, and if I'm only putting out a book every like four years, it's just yeah. not going to work. Right. So I, um, that's when I developed my whole, when I now call my 30 day author formula, uh, mm-hmm. which really just amounts to put your butt in a seat and write a certain number of words every day, but <laughs> it's it, like do the hard work, huh? Right. Yeah. Do, yeah. Here's the formula for writing success. Actually write. Um, <laughs> and now once I did that though, I'm like, okay, I wrote that, that third book in 15 days. Mm, And then I thought, well, how can I repeat the success? So I started a completely different trilogy. I mean, I purposely made the same mistake again. I wrote a YA fantasy series that I knew was going to be three books long. And I wrote the first two books over 60 days. And um, the third book I took my time on, but I, you know, at that point I was chunking out you know, a book every, every 30 days for a while. And I bet um, you were spending more than two hours a week writing, right? I was spending more than two hours a week writing. Ironically enough. I mean, (laughs) it it really kind of came down to like, I think about that now. I'm like, now these days, because of my schedule and other responsibilities, you know, I, I do a couple of hours of writing each day. Um, and because I'm very fast, that means I can hit my targets. Like, my minimum word count is 2000 words. Now it used to be much higher, but, um, you know, I typically that overshoot that to like around 4,000 to 6,000 words mm-hmm. every day. And that's within a two to three hour period each morning. So, wow. you know, I, I'm, those skills came because I forced myself into the rhythm of a minimum word count each day. Yeah. You know? yeah. It started yeah. off as 1500 words, you know, and 1500 words will get you a book in a very short amount of time, if you're right. willing to do it, yeah. uh, especially if you yeah. don't edit until you've got the words on the page. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's, that's my I, favorite mistake. The that's same, great. Book one of three. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. And it doesn't matter. Like if you start out slow and it takes mm-hmm. you a long time to write that first book, that's okay. Because it took me, I wrote my first book during my kid's nap time, like a couple of yeah. times a week. So like I had like 30 minutes, maybe two or three times a week. And it yeah. took me like, like years, like four or five <laughs> years to really See, get it done. But then like once you've done it and you know, you can yeah. do it again, hopefully fingers crossed, you know, then you maybe get more time and do it faster. It, it's the four minute mile. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, yeah. it was an, it was impossible until they did it. And then yeah. it became routine to do right. it. And I, I think that in a lot of ways uh, we, we authors can kind of cut our own throats when, when we start seeing success and then we peel off from the, the other distractions, quote unquote, of our daily lives to mm-hmm. just write full time. Yep. Uh, I've, I've done full time writing. Um, Nick, my, you know, Thacker has done full time writing and, you know, you kind of get to a point where you've, you are doing less Mm-hmm. with full time than mm-hmm. you were when you had to write between naps and, mm-hmm. you know, commutes yeah. to work and that sort yeah. of thing. Exactly. exactly. And I think yeah. the reason that is, <laughs> is because you, because you only have a, a this limited amount of time, it becomes mm-hmm. precious. Mm-hmm. And so you turn off all distractions, mm-hmm. put away the phone, you know, you, you, you close the door and then you, you sit and concentrate on it to get the squeeze the most life out of it mm-hmm. so that um, you can f- get something on the page before you have to go do the rest of your life. Wow. I think that is absolutely the right way to work. I think authors should be looking for ways to write around their lives, not mm-hmm. make writing their life. Yep. You know? I agree. I agree. And I, uh, in fact, I've been doing some consulting calls lately, um, you know, over the holidays and stuff. Well, since I spoke at 20 books, but mm-hmm. especially if the question is how, can, you know, I want to make this a full-time thing and stuff. My first thing is let's talk about this first. Like yeah. you may not need, you know, that may not be the best path for you to write full-time. Frankly, I don't know that it was for me. Like, I think I, I know I did more when I was, when I was working than, um, than I do being a full-time author, I just don't want a job. So that's yeah. another issue. <laughs> so, yeah, I, no, I tr- trust me. Um, dra- I don't want to work for anybody. Has been an amazing uh, opportunity yeah. for me because um, the nature of draft digital is it's, it's formatted very much like an author career. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, my work there, it, it, they work, they mesh together because, right. um, you know, I have some flexibility in in my schedule and, and that sort of thing because I'm remote and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. whatever. Um, and the, I think for a lot of authors, like the idea is, well, I want more time to do this thing I love. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you can get there, but here's what I think is, is interesting. Every successful author I know from, from indie publishing to traditional publishing when they get to that level where they're all they're all they're all they have to do is write and publish, yeah. they always take on other stuff. Yeah. They yeah. they start a small business or they yeah. start consulting <laughs> or they, start, or they yeah. start a People. charity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all of them. All of them. I was ta- talking to Kevin J. Anderson and he that's he's doing the same thing. And yeah. Jonathan Mayberry, same thing. Like yeah. he, you know, they we all realize, even Stephen King, by the way, mm-hmm. Stephen King's mm-hmm. got all kinds of little side hustle things uh, Mm -hmm. that he's involved in and almost everything ends up being related to your publishing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's, I think the key is we're not designed to sit for 10 hours a day, eight hours (laughs) a day, even um, doing nothing but writing. I mean, we we're supposed to go out and experience other things so that we bring all that back to the writing. The writing is an expression of life. You know, it's not, yeah. It's not meant to be the only thing we ever focus on. And that yeah. that's a hard truth for, for a lot of these authors because yeah. there's the assumption yes. that gets that should be questioned is that if I become a full-time writer, you know, I'll be able to just kind of kick back with my smoker's jacket with my pipe, <laughs> yeah. you know, clacking away on an underwood in my cabin in the woods somewhere. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can right. totally do that, but they're gonna call you the Unabomber and you're yeah. gonna end up going to prison <laughs> at some point. 
<laughs> Maybe not the best. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, let's uh, talk about finding your genre. Like, how did you decide on archaeological thrillers? Like, how did you land there? I know that uh, just with a discussion we had before that you have kicked around the idea of cozies and some other yeah. things. So, how did you land on archaeological thrillers? There you go. I first should say that sci fi was sort of my first passion for writing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never could, I never fit with sci-fi in any of the subgenres. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because the stuff I wrote was more like the kind of thing that Orson Scott Card writes. Um, It's like, it's technically Uh (laughs) sci-fi, but it's not like what you see on the shelves other than his stuff. It's not really what you find. And so I was having a tough time really kind of finding my, my, uh, I felt like I had a voice. I just didn't feel like I had a core audience right? Um, or couldn't identify them. When yeah. Nick Thacker dared me to write a thriller, um, the first thing that came to mind for me was movies like Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. um, m- m- books and films like uh, The Da Vinci Code, mm-hmm. uh, National mm-hmm. Treasure. Yeah, that yeah. was the kind of story I really enjoyed. Um and so I, I landed on, I want, you know, this archaeologist. Now I, I kind of hedged my bets and made him this like polymath. Who's um, uh, my character. My primary character's name is Dan Kotler, Dr. Dan mm-hmm. Kotler. Um, and uh, he's an archaeologist, FBI consultant and troublemaker. Uh, yes. <laughs> so not too dissimilar from me. I don't have yeah. FBI credentials, but he, so the idea was I, I gave him um, outside skills and, mm-hmm. and uh, background. Like I, he has a, he has a PhD in archeology, span anthropology specifically, mm-hmm. but also in quantum physics. Uh, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I was afraid that, that was me kind of staying close to the shores of sci-fi. Yeah. In yeah. case I wanted to go back. And in, the, in case you needed to take him off planet. <laughs> yeah. If if I ever decided, well, okay, this guy's clearly going to be abducted by aliens. Uh, at least I could. Good to go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so why would he be there? Now yeah. it turned out that that was an interesting twist. You know, it, later in the series, I used that. I wanted to explain why that was because I mm-hmm. I'd taken a little bit of criticism from reviewers. You know, some mm-hmm. of whom do not showed a clear misunderstanding of what it means to have multiple PhDs, but. Right, right. Um, you know, God bless them, uh, as we say in Texas. But <laughs> the, I kind of you. Here's a tip for authors: when you make a mistake, don't try to correct it in in the book that you've released. Uh-huh. Find a way to to turn it into a plot point for a future book. Right. So there are a couple of examples of that for me. One of them was you know giving Kotler this physics background that I later explained. Like his parents turned out to be one was a physicist and the other was technically a mathematician, but they had an interest in archaeology. Right. And so those things all fed this character, right? And right. so they and they tragically died. And so in an, an homage to them, he pursued all their fields. Like he became all they were. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. except he's lousy at math. Um because I'm lousy at math, but <laughs> even as an engineer. Uh, but the other thing that one of the other mistakes I made that I embraced and turned into something, and it's big now, uh, was that I had to justify having Kotler working with the FBI so consistently. I created this special unit within the FBI that I called historical crimes. Mm. And I, it was Love a typo. It, it was yeah. supposed to be historic crimes. Oh, and but so I made a typo, yeah, and then it, it just stuck, uh, and I, or, or I was stuck with it. And rather than go back and reformat that name out of the the book where I introduced it, um, I wrote in the next book a whole bunch of jokes about like, well, shouldn't it be historic crimes? Why yeah. historical <laughs> crimes? And you know, the FBI agent is kind of a grouse. He's like, I didn't name the department Cutler, and uh, yeah, and so it became like this joke that it was a sort of bureaucratic typo that became a department and just exactly how it would work in the government would probably work that <laughs> yes, way exactly, right? exactly. so now that historical crimes is um 
And maybe I've got it reversed. I actually may have just lied to you guys on, on <laughs> it. May be historic it's crimes. Not, and just- <laughs> it's historic crimes, not historical crimes. I, I flipped yeah. it. Sorry. It's okay. It's, it is historic crimes, but should have been historical crimes. Yes. Yes. Um, so historic crimes has become an, a, a functional agency within my world. And what it did was allow me to connect um, when I created a new series, mm-hmm. my technological thrillers, um, so the story there is there's a woman named Alex Kane. She has a sophisticated um, AI that basically is a digital skeleton key. And she's been framed for um, murdering her business partner and, um, you know, trying to sell state secrets to the Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's been a fugitive. And because she's got this super AI, uh, she's been on the run now for three or four years and always ahead. She's, she's, Oh, she's very clever and she's always mm-hmm. ahead of the, the game. Uh, so she's evaded capture, but she's like the number one fugitive on the planet. But because she's uh, innocent, she's helping the disenfranchised people who've been uh, kind of looked look past by the FBI and other law enforcement and didn't receive the justice they should receive. And so she helps them. She's like a one person, a team, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so because of that work, she, she, there's an FBI agent pursuing her. She sort of becomes an, a confidential informant, still a fugitive. They'll still take her to prison if they can get her, but she helps the FBI with certain things. And so because of that, I was able to lump all those under the historic crimes um, label. And so connect those two worlds. So I've had crossovers Oh, that's her so and, smart. And, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, so, you know, and people love both series individually, but when I do a crossover, it's like people lose their, it's the yeah. Avengers effect. Like people yes, just exactly. lose their mind. Exactly. So. exactly. so do you do crossovers a lot? Do you have a lot of crossover books or is it just like a cameo appearance? So what I've d- done is I've started treating it as, okay, um, this is something I completely stole from comic books. I'm just going to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're all in the same universe. So they occasionally reference each other mm-hmm. in the books. Mm-hmm. Sometimes characters from one book will make guest appearances in the other, in the other books. Right. Uh, but what I do is have, uh, essentially I created a, I've got multiple series anyway, but I will we'll say I've created a third series that is just historic crimes. And those are crossovers. Now I've only released one official book in that so far, mm-hmm. um, but it was where the two characters met. Mm-hmm. And then spinning from the events of that, um, things happened in Kotler's books that had, would have had like a, a national, international impact. And so I had that bleed over into the next Quake Runner book, Alex Kane, um, mm-hmm. where she's dealing with some of the consequences of that. Like she was asked to help out with that. So I have a scene in that book where she's she's helping and then she goes on with the rest of her A-line story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. it's it's not direct crossovers all the time. Although right. sometimes I will have, like I had Kotler and, and her on a zoom call. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's to remind readers that those two, ex- those two characters exist in the same world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're, re- if you're interested in this, you might be interested in that. Mm-hmm. So it's a sort of a way to cross sell and cross promote. Yeah, yeah no, books. it's that's super smart. And if our listeners are, taking notes this is a good thing to take notes on because (laughs) this is how you create um sell through to all your books because you have you you've created a world inside a world and um i think that's so smart what's interesting is the readers who prefer one series over another get mad when i release the Uh, other books yeah so (laughs) or i'll have Kane, you know, uh, Kotler appear in one of Kane's books and the readers of, uh, of, uh, the Kotler books are mad because now they got to go buy a Kane book to see what Kotler's <laughs> well, up to. Yeah, exactly. so. <laughs> oh, well, that's how it works. Yeah. 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 So tell us what dra- you work for draft digital. Tell us uh, what's new and what's happening and coming in 2022 with draft digital. Well, I can't tell you the story the really cool stuff that's coming in 22 years. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I can hint strongly that there's something truly amazing, mind boggling, amazing hap- that's going to happen in 22, 2022. Wow. 
probably within the next 30 days. So Ooh. that's the most I can tell you without being oh, wow. fired. Okay. But yeah, be on the lookout. It's exciting. I mean, it's okay. very, very exciting. I can't wait until I can fully announce it and talk about it. Um, but uh, in other news, I mean, we've done some pretty cool things. You know, 2021 was almost a recovery mode for 2020. Yes. Um, yes, for all of us. That was interesting in the, in terms of the indie publishing scene 2020 actually i hate to say this i don't want to get nasty emails or anything but it was sort of a good time for authors <laughs> um yeah. because ebooks uh sold through the roof over 2020 because people were running out of netflix basically right. mm-hmm. uh, and stuck in their homes but then uh you would have anticipated and we anticipated that come you know once things started to kind of calm down on the pandemic front um that yeah, and life sort of resumed something close to normal that ebook sales would would trend down, and they did, but not to levels below where um, they were prior to 2020. They actually stayed much higher wow. um, and have continued that year over year now. And so um, we were very excited to see that, and and that's good news for the authors. Uh, and so 2021, we spent some time kind of refining some of the stuff that we already do. We added new things. You know, we added BorrowBox, for example, mm-hmm. as a distributor for Australia uh, library systems. Um, you know, we just announced uh, that we did this. This happened. We didn't do this per se, but, you know, all our authors can now get into the Kobo Plus has expanded their distribution mm-hmm. um, to uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, uh, a few other places. And, um, you know, so all those things happened, but we were working on, like we had our D to D print. We retooled that from the ground up, uh, based on a variety of, of factors. Feedback from the users was a big one. Uh, we switched print partners. So, um, we have a whole new print partner, uh, versus when we started, uh, and, you know, that necessitated a few changes on the back end. We, there's a now a, a fee associated with certain things, but we, we hate charging fees. So we've worked out a way to cover you for one of the fees mm-hmm. uh, on changes. So like now, <clears throat> if you want, if you upload your print book, uh, and you get a free change to that print book every 90 days. Um, oh, wow. uh, if you need to make changes between there, you can pay for a change token to make that change is like $25. Mm-hmm. That's because we're being charged for that. So we're, we're basically covering you on one free change every 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, so for most authors, I mean, we're, we're so used to the immediate, like, oh, uh, my ebook has a typo in it. I'm going to upload a new one. Yeah. It's out tomorrow and it's free of charge. Uh, it, it, we really wanted it to work that way for print, but it, it just can't because yeah. of the nature of, of uh, publish on demand. So we had to come up with this, this system. And because we don't like charging authors for things, we figured out a way to do it. You know, we're, we're going to eat the cost of, of one change per book, you know, per quarter, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, those yeah. things, but there's well, been why- huge things that it's like nothing, I nothing so exciting that I could describe it to you, but it's big deals. Yeah. Well, yeah. well universal bookings. We did update that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was gonna say one of the things I'm most excited about is the print option yeah. for the universal book links. I've been wanting mm-hmm. that for ages, and that just came out, right? Yeah. So you know, now that's, we need to go in and update everything, which hasn't happened. But to me, that yeah, that that's and that's huge. the challenge because it's yeah. um, the nature of it's it's so hard uh, to explain this to people, but <laughs> ebooks can be scraped automatically. Uh, the print books and audiobooks there are some challenges to that, that we've, there's just no way to automate it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we are, um, you know, it's still a manual ad. Right. And we're we working to improve that option to do that, yeah. which before, so now I, it will take time to go in and add those links, but now yeah. I will truly be able to give people one link and say, here you go. It's got audiobooks, ebooks yep. and print books. So and, and oh, under you. print, it's both paperback <laughs> and hardcover. Yeah. yeah. So, so. You, you can actually can expand that quite a bit. So um, I know Amazon's now got their KD, 
KDP Print now has a hardcover option. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're using Ingram or someone else to do your hardcovers, you you can link to those in your Universal Book Link. So yeah, okay. so that is awesome. So um, yeah, we so we wanted to talk to you a little bit about Draft Digital, and we will keep an eye out to see what's coming. Whatever yeah. that's yes. mysterious. It's going to be big. I'm, I'm not is. kidding. <clears throat> it's exciting. So that is and cool. unexpected. All right. Well, we will watch for that. And then the other thing we wanted to touch on with you was um, being a digital nomad because you spent a couple of years, right? Like moving around and living in different places. So yeah, living in a van, a bus and a van. And yeah, 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 we actually, what um, would you say are the pros and cons? Like, tell us a little bit of how you did it. And then what do you think are the, the good? And if somebody's thinking about doing that, what should they be aware of? Um, yeah, uh, we kind of started in an RV, like a big giant motor coach. Um, mm-hmm. and we lived in that for a couple of years traveling. And then we, uh, got an, got it. We went through a couple of apartments. And then when we got back on the road in 2020, like right at the, right oh. as the, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other story, but we, we traded, tried to trade. We, we bought a, uh, travel trailer. Uh, like a 19 footer and a pickup. And so we were in that for a few months and decided um, to get a van because in a van, we can pick up and go anytime we want. We don't have to go. If we decide we're two hours away from the campground and we decide we don't want to go back. Yeah. uh, We've got a bathroom, stove, shower, you know, everything's there in the van. So uh, that turned out to be like the best Mm -hmm. thing we ever did. Um, so we got that and it's been about two years since we've been moving around in that uh, periodically staying in with her Kara's folks or something, uh, usually for holidays or something. Um, the tips, I mean, as far as how to do this, I mean, for one, th- one of the things I would, I would say right off is um, if you have the ability to do it, you should totally do it. Uh, how, even if it's, um, instead of buying something to live out of, you just stay in Airbnbs for a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, moving from place to place. Uh, the advantages of this are you are exposed to so many different, um, types of people, uh, types of uh, bits of history, local uh, experiences that you likely would never experience otherwise. Cause mm-hmm. like we drove, we just, um, over the summer left and went up into uh, like the new England area and went up into mm-hmm. New York and, mm-hmm. and uh, we spent a two or three months kind of driving around up there before we started going to conferences um, in the South. And, you know, we stayed in places that you never would have stayed in. If you were, if I said, we're going to go to New York and stay for a month um, or for a couple of weeks or a weekend, you know, we, we went to places that you wouldn't have gone to, uh, like that, um, mm-hmm. and spent real time there, and like became locals for a while. And because of that, I picked up on things like dialect and mm-hmm. character, you know, characterization things that I can use, and local history. You know, so there's there's a, and some of that has been worked into plots in my books. So it's it's just this, it's a way to recharge your writing batteries for sure. And because we were working while we were doing it, like it wasn't just vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my wife and I both work for draft digital at this point. And, uh, you know, all this stuff, um, feeds into my writing, but it also helped with, with the work I do for D to D like, you know, being out and about and meeting authors where they live is, mm-hmm. is kind of a big, big deal. It's good for them and good for us. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, advice, one of the things I did was I, I found a, uh, I got this prepaid phone uh, from a, using a service called Visible, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is on the Verizon network. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I use that as a hotspot for everything because mm-hmm. it, it has like truly unlimited tethering and data. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's wow. like 40 bucks a month. That was probably the best investment I made. But wow, the point yeah. of that is have um, multiple ways to get on the internet because you're going to need it. Um, Sometimes, you know, the pandemic uh, early on made it impossible to do things like go to a Starbucks, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but you, you know, we had all these different means of getting on the internet, Um, be ready to 
you know, you're there are what people forget about is drive time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you think, well, I'm in Florida and uh, next month I'm going to be in Colorado Springs. Uh, you might want to start making your way towards Colorado Springs <laughs> immediately. <'Cause laughs> that killed us. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you don't think about it cause you're like, okay, that's yeah. a month or three months out. Yeah. Um, but like just getting from, uh, St. Pete's beach, Florida, our air conditioner on the, uh, van, our overhead AC went out and we were having a hard time finding anyone to fix it. Well, I found someone in Houston. And so we were like, okay, when we leave St. Pete's at Nink, we're going to go to Houston. Uh, we were going to go there anyway. We'll just leave immediately and get, and we can get there in time for this appointment. Well, mm -hmm. it didn't really occur to me, but you know, that was like three or four solid days of driving eight to 10 hours a day. And, you know, yeah. by the time we got there, I would, first of all, I'm not doing any work while I'm driving. Yes. And second of all, once I got there, I was like burnt out so bad that I couldn't yeah. function for a week. Mm -hmm. So I guess my advice would be, um, it, it, as, as tempting as it is to, to dream about, you know, I'm going to be in this place and this place and this place, uh, you really should aim to spend longer swaths of time and, and move sort of in turns mm -hmm, <laughs> across mm -hmm, the country mm -hmm. and enjoy where you are. And by doing that, by the way, like if we had not been in a rush, we wouldn't have done it that way. Uh, the travel we did in the past was like four hour limits, right? Like four, four hours or four o'clock. That was my rule. Mm -hmm. And so we would drive for four hours and we'd stay for a few days and then drive another four hours and, and move across the country that way. Or we might stay a week or a month or, or whatever. Um, that gives you time to recharge and mm -hmm. experience these places. And because you do it that way, you end up in places you never would have discovered otherwise. Right. Right. And it gives you time to work. I mean, if you're only you driving, you can't work. Yeah, like right. Because I cannot dictate. No. <laughs> and even if I could, I wouldn't do it with Kara sitting three feet from me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just awkward. Uh, <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, I hate. I hate the whole like adding punctuation as I talk. Yes, period. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well, and and to try and do it while you're driving, I think yeah. like some people can do that. I could not. That's just like too much going on. Well, know? what I can do while driving is, uh, you know, my brain never shuts down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I can think through story yes. and mm -hmm. characterization and stuff and not in a formal way, but just in a, like play, play a movie in my head. Like, right. you know, what would Alex Kane do in this situation? And so even if that stuff never quite makes it onto the page, I think that that's good development time for authors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Becca yes. Syme calls that incubation time where you're yeah. just thinking and kind of getting all your uh, yeah. plot points down and how you want the scene to go. So it can yeah. be really valuable. Yeah. yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd rather be writing. Yes. Yeah. But still, <laughs> sometimes you can't. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, Kevin, it's been so great having you here. Uh, tell us what you think the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success has been. Um. There's so many things that I that I would qualify as a good answer for that. I think um, number one, developing the, da the daily writing discipline right. um, mm -hmm. did a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, that alone, they say they say that your best marketing tool is your next book. Um, right. So that was a big part of it. Um, but this, but a very close second. I mean, maybe even on the same level is. Um, I would say connecting to the community, but I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's actually a level higher than that. It's mm -hmm. find your, um, find your team, find, find the people who are like you, who yeah. think, you know, and operate in, in much the same way you do, who have the same passions and create a little group of no more than five people, um, that you can just, it's like a mastermind in a sense, but it's, right. It's people who um, understand what you're doing and understand yeah. what you're going through and, and are going through the same struggle. Um, mm -hmm. You should always try to connect with people who are operating at a level higher than you, but um, you should also have your sort of core team of like, yeah. I've got, it's kind of like the inklings, right? Uh, yeah. If you're familiar with that with J.R.R. Tolkien and yes. C.S. Lewis and those guys, I have my little, the group is currently called, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Thacker Stacks, 
Dempsey dollars and Kevin coins. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's me, Nick, Nick Thacker and Ernest Dempsey. And we all write in the same genre. We all write essentially the same sorts of books. Uh, we're all at the same general level of success. And so that has been a, um, it's just been an amazing uh, experience to have those two guys. You know, we share in jokes and crude jokes and, yes. you know, we're very much alike. We share um, all, all the things. It, it, we rarely talk about writing and publishing in that group. Uh, mm-hmm. But when we do, it's, it's sort of, hey, I'm thinking about trying this. And, and Ernie says, I did that and it's stupid. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. we give each other that kind of practical advice. So you should have that. You should have that. I think yes. that um, along with the, with a discipline is mm-hmm. uh, going to, that's, it's inevitable that you'll succeed. That's yeah. great. Very that good. is great advice. It is. I, I agree really too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, where can people find out more about you? So if you go to kevintumlinson.com, that's, that's going to link to literally everything important uh, about my career, uh, including draft to digital. Um, okay. If you're an author and you're wanting to know more about draft to digital, you can go straight to draft to digital.com. Okay. All right. Awesome. We will have all those links in the show notes and yes. just thank you so much for being here today. This has been great. It oh, has. I love it. Thank you for having me. The great way to start the new year. It That's is. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, and thanks to Alexa Larberg for producing the podcast and Adriel Wiggins for the podcast administration. You can find all the links at wish I'd known them podcast.com and we'll see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the wish I'd known then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.